at Trinity Lutheran Church. I'm Pastor Bibb, and a special warm welcome to any guests or visitors joining us this day. Please know you're always welcome at Trinity Lutheran Church. And we've come to one of the short seasons of the church year, the pre-Lent season, and it goes by old Latin names that accompany each Sunday. So this being the first of them is Septuagesima Sunday, which literally means 70 days. Now, why the number? Well, it's counting us down to the season of Easter. And this Sunday is particularly dated about 70 days until the eighth day after Easter when we receive that teaching about the Lord coming to the apostles, even though the doors were shut. And then next week will be Sexagesima, 60 days, and then Quinquagesima, 50 days. And it actually counts back to what it's pointing to, if that makes any sense. It's okay, the old church year calendar does this in that way. So then you have a dating from the uh, eighth day of Easter back to the middle of Easter week. And then finally with uh, Quinquagesima, 50 days until we celebrate the resurrection of our Lord. So what's the point of this? What's the focus? Well, this pre-Lent season gets us ready for Lent, and it focuses us very clearly on, as you may have seen from your bulletin cover here, grace alone, scripture alone, and faith alone, as these come up in our readings today. And so I'll direct your attention to the inside of the back cover of your bulletin, where we do have that focused on Christ section, a summary of our readings for the day. The people of Israel contended with the Lord in the wilderness. They were dissatisfied with his provision. In the same way, the first laborers in the vineyard complained against the landowner for the wage he provided them. They charged him with being unfair, but in reality, he was being generous. For the Lord does not wish to deal with us on the basis of what we deserve, but on the basis of his abounding grace in Christ. The first, that is those who rely on their own merits, will be last, for they were overthrown in the wilderness. But the last, those who rely on Christ, will be first. For Christ is the rock. He is the one who was struck, and from whose side blood and water flowed, that we may be cleansed of our sin. And as we have entered the pre-Lent season, uh, just a couple of notes about the service, that there is no Gloria in Excelsis, uh, nor is there an Alleluia prior to the Gospel reading. But we do continue to gather in joy to receive the Lord's body and blood. And this day we do receive that blessed gift. And we receive it in the fellowship of this altar, which means then in accordance with God's word, all those who come to the altar this day to receive the Lord's body and blood need to either be a member of this congregation or a sister congregation. Now why? Because the Lord bids us that we come together in unity of confession, not just concerning the supper, but concerning all that he teaches in his word when we come to receive his body and blood to capture the words of St. Paul, that we might be one loaf as we come together as one to receive Christ in and under bread and wine. Our divine service setting is setting one as it begins on page 151. We now sing the first hymn. O Lord Jesus Christ, for the abundance of our transgressions, we deserve nothing but your punishment. In your grace, deliver us that we may be your forgiven and chosen people. For you live and reign with the Father and the Holy Spirit, one God, now and forever. The Old Testament reading for Septuagesma is from Exodus chapter 17. All the congregation of the people of Israel moved on from the wilderness of sin by stages, according to the commandment of the Lord, they camped at Rephidim. But there was no water for the people to drink. Therefore the people quarreled with Moses and said, Give us water to drink. And Moses said to them, Why do you quarrel with me? 
Why do you test the Lord? But the people thirsted there for water, and the people grumbled against Moses and said, Why did you bring us up out of Egypt to kill us and our children and our livestock with thirst? So Moses cried to the Lord, What shall I do with this people? They are almost ready to stone me. And the Lord said to Moses, Pass on before the people, taking with you some of the elders of Israel, and take in your hand the staff with which you struck the Nile, and go. And behold, I will stand before you there on the rock at Horeb, and you shall strike the rock, and water shall come out of it, and the people will drink. And Moses did so in the sight of the elders of Israel. And he called the name of the place Massa and Meribah, because of the quarreling of the people of Israel, and because they tested the Lord by saying, Is the Lord among us or not? This is the word of the Lord. The epistle is from 1 Corinthians chapters 9 and 10. Do you not know that in a race all the runners compete, but only one receives the prize? So run that you may obtain it. Every athlete exercises self-control in all things. They do it to receive a perishable wreath, but we an imperishable. So I do not run aimlessly. I do not box as one beating the air, but I discipline my body and keep it under control, lest after preaching to others I myself should be disqualified. I want you to know, brothers, that our fathers were all under the cloud and all passed through the sea, and all were baptized into Moses in the cloud and in the sea, and all ate the same spiritual food and all drank the same spiritual drink, for they drank from the spiritual rock that followed them, and the rock was Christ. Nevertheless, with most of them God was not pleased, for they were overthrown in the wilderness." This is the word of the Lord. The Holy Gospel according to St. Matthew, the 20th chapter. Jesus said, The kingdom of heaven is like a master of a house who went out early in the morning to hire laborers for his vineyard. After agreeing with the laborers for a denarius a day, he sent them into his vineyard. And going out about the third hour, he saw others standing idle in the marketplace. And to them he said, You go into the vineyard too, and whatever is right, I will give you. So they went. Going out again about the sixth hour and the ninth hour, he did the same. And about the eleventh hour, he went out and found others standing. And he said to them, Why do you stand here idle all day? They said to him, Because no one has hired us. He said to them, You go into the vineyard too. And when evening came, the owner of the vineyard said to his foreman, Call the laborers and pay them their wages, beginning with the last, up to the first. And when those hired about the eleventh hour came, each of them received a denarius. Now, when those hired first came, they thought they would receive more, but each of them also received a denarius. And on receiving it, they grumbled at the master of the house, saying, These last worked only one hour, and you have made them equal to us who have borne the burden of the day and the scorching heat. But he replied to one of them, Friend, I am doing you no wrong. Did you not agree with me for a denarius? Take what belongs to you and go. I choose to give to this last worker as I give to you. Am I not allowed to do what I choose with what belongs to me? Or do you begrudge my generosity? So the last will be first and the first last. This is the Gospel of the Lord.
Grace, mercy, and peace be to you from God the Father and from our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Amen. Please be seated. Well, as we just sung and confessed, salvation unto us has come by God's free grace and favor. Good works cannot avert our doom. They help and save us neighbor. Never. Faith looks to Jesus Christ alone, who did for all the world atone. He is our one Redeemer. On this Septuagesima Sunday, the topic is grace, but the story is about work. Our gospel lesson for today is a parable about people working in a vineyard. It's about work, but Jesus told the story to illustrate for us the meaning of grace. Jesus' story about workers in a vineyard teaches what St. Paul taught when he wrote the following. But to him who does not work, but believes on him who justifies the ungodly, his faith is accounted for righteousness. That from Romans 4, verse 5. The parable before us describes true Christians and false Christians. They all work in the vineyard. Jesus isn't talking about people who don't confess the Christian faith, don't go to church, and don't publicly identify themselves as Christians. He's talking about people who outwardly confess the Christian faith. There are two kinds of professing Christians, true Christians and false Christians. The true Christians believe that Jesus is their Savior from sin, death, and hell. They believe what God promises them in Christ, and through their faith, they receive what the promises promise. Since Jesus has already rescued them from the punishment of their sins, they know and they believe that they are righteous before God. They don't have to win over God's heart. They already have his favor. They are saints, and they are forgiven of all their sins. They are clothed in the righteousness of Christ, and they are heaven-bound, paradise-bound. They do good deeds because God has already made them good by forgiving them all their sins. False Christians, on the other hand, may say that they believe in Jesus. They may confess the Apostles' Creed, pray the Lord's Prayer, and even kneel at the altar and eat and drink the body and blood of Jesus, given and shed for them for the forgiveness of sins. But they are not Christians. They hold to a false faith. Now, what do I mean by that? They trust in their own good deeds. They believe that they earn God's grace by doing good. While they pay lip service to Jesus, calling him Savior, they don't trust in his salvation. They are working their way to heaven. They are gaining an eternal reward by doing good. They are thereby insulting the suffering of Jesus, trampling on his blood and despising the grace of God in Christ. The false Christians are paid by the work they do. They receive the praise of the world around us. But when they are done doing all the work they have done, the owner of the the vineyard tells them, take what is yours and go your way. Go your way. They have no fellowship with God. They are not children of God. They never knew God. They only knew their labor, their own good works by which they attempted to justify themselves and earn God's favor. Those who trust in their own good deeds, they are scandalized by God's grace. They look at religion as a job, and they judge religion the way that people judge jobs. You put in so many hours, and you get so much money per hour. You earn the money you receive. You worked for it. The false Christians apply the standards of the workplace to the kingdom of heaven. Now, if 
this is how the job market is, well, then it must be how it works in God's kingdom as well, right? They fashion God in their own image. This is the way things work in the world. Therefore, this is the way God works. The true Christians know that God doesn't think like we think. His thoughts are not our thoughts. His ways are not our ways. His kingdom is a kingdom of grace. You work not for pay, but for the joy of it. The false Christians who worked for 12 long hours and during the burden and heat of the day, they settled up front what their payment would be. They are working for pay. Those who were hired later, whose work flew by without them breaking a sweat, didn't ask for a specific wage, nor were they promised one. They wanted to work. By treating those who did much work the same way as he treated those who did little work, the owner of the vineyard showed what God's grace is like. Those who trust in God's grace and those who trust in their own works appear to be doing the same work. Were you to drive past this vineyard, it all looks the same, right? There's men working. But those who trust in God's grace don't feel the burden of the work. Jesus said, come to me, all you who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and lowly in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. That from Matthew 11. You see, when God has already justified you, he has reckoned to you, credited to you, the obedience and suffering of Christ. This is what makes you righteous. Nothing you do makes you righteous. It's the work that Jesus did that makes you righteous. God reckons you to be righteous for Jesus' sake. And so when God justifies you through faith alone, that is, declares you to be forgiven through faith alone, he also works in you. You see, you learn to love. You love God. You love God by loving those with whom you live and you work. God forgives you by grace alone, and then he changes you as the potter molds the clay. This is also by grace alone. The work you do is no burden. You work, you love God, you love God by loving your neighbor. You do what love for your neighbor requires, and the work is no burden for you. It is a joy. Those who don't trust in God's grace, well, they look at their work as a burden, and that's because it is a burden. When you're trying to make yourself righteous before God by doing righteous things, you will never succeed, and the burden will only grow. If you consult God's law to see how well you're doing, you will not be happy with what you see. So instead of judging yourself by God's standards, you'll become a standard of your own, and you'll compare yourself to others who aren't as good as you by your own reckoning. You will justify yourself by comparing yourself to people who haven't done as many good things as you have done. And that's a really big irony for you, because standing in judgment of others is a sin. And now this sin has become your claim to righteousness. But that's the way it must be for those who are working their way to heaven or attempting to, attempting to earn God's approval and relying on their hard labor to get whatever God has to give, to which our Lord Jesus says, so the last will be first, and the first last. For many are called, but few chosen. You put yourself first, and you will be made last. You exalt yourself, and you will be humbled. You stand on your pride, and you will be humiliated, brought low. You elevate yourself at the expense of your neighbor, and God will see to it that your neighbor stands above you. 
Even the ancient pagans knew that pride goes before the fall. Treating those who worked just an hour or two the same as those who worked for 12 hours, it seems unfair to us. God's grace seems unfair, but it is only unfair to those who despise it. It doesn't trouble those who trust in it. Jesus explains, many are called, the few chosen. The gospel call goes out to everyone. God so loved the world, as Jesus says in John 3.16. Christ died for all, St. Paul writes in 2 Corinthians 5.15. Jesus commands that all nations everywhere be taught the gospel, baptized, and instructed in the Christian religion, which is the only true faith. He commands this for the young and old, black and white, male and female, rich and poor, all people everywhere. Many are called, and many means everyone, everywhere. But few are chosen, that is, few believe. It's not that God doesn't want everyone to believe, he does. This is the whole purpose of Jesus' death and resurrection. But there are so many things that come between sinners and God's grace to prevent, prevent them from trusting in it. So many things prevent people from trusting in God's grace, and none of those things, not a single one of them, comes from God. God's grace is sincerely extended to everyone. God's love encompasses the whole entire world. What stands between God's grace and the sinner is always the sinner's fault. God earnestly calls him, but the sinner would rather do it his own way. He fears, loves, and trusts in something else. Many are called, but few are chosen. Salvation is truly by grace alone. I cannot rely on my decision, my will, my work, my prayers, my piety, my religious pedigree, my seminary education, or my association with good, decent, holy people. If I am to be rescued from the sin that would tear me away from God and condemn me to eternal damnation, God must rescue me without any help from me. For when I begin to trust in what I have done, I lose my trust in Christ alone for my salvation. So I'll ask you, do you fret over whether or not you have been chosen? Do not fear. Do not fret. Instead, know this. If you're trusting in Jesus for your salvation, in his blood, in his righteousness, and not your own strength, merits, or works, this is God's gracious work in you by his Holy Spirit. He called you by his word, and by that same word he chooses you and he keeps you in the one true faith. Hold on to his gospel. Cling to Christ crucified and resurrected for you. Confess your sins to God every day and take to heart Christ's absolution, which is for you. He who died for you and rose again, who has baptized you, absolved you, and feeds you his own body and blood in and under bread and wine from this very altar for the forgiveness of your sins, he tells you that he has rescued you from all your sins and he has prepared a place for you with him forever in heaven with all the saints. He has the right to give to you what belongs to him. He is your Savior, and a Savior saves. In the name of Jesus, amen. The peace of God which surpasses understanding guard your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. Amen. In peace, let us pray to the Lord. Lord, have mercy. For the whole church on earth that we would not grumble about the blessings we receive, but rejoice in the generosity of our Father in heaven. Let us pray to the Lord. Lord, have mercy. For all pastors in Christ, 
that they would gladly preach the saving gospel, not for their own glory, nor counting the cost, but for the glory of Christ alone. For all other church workers, that everything they do would also be in service to the same gospel, and that the Lord of the harvest would send laborers into his harvest, that many sinners may be brought into his redemption and love. Let us pray to the Lord. Lord, have mercy. For the congregations of the church, that we would repent of any quarreling or testing of God's bountiful goodness, and instead gratefully receive from him all the gifts he bestows. Let us pray to the Lord. Lord, have mercy. For the home, that God would graciously work through the teaching and example of fathers and mothers to preserve the faith of children and help them grow in Christ until life's end. Let us pray to the Lord. Lord, have mercy. For the nations of the world, that warfare would cease and that the peace of God would abound among mankind. Let us pray to the Lord. Lord, have mercy. For all who suffer ills of body and soul, especially Charlotte Locke, Richard Phillips, Earl Burmester, Shirley Dover, John Mottman, Ron Lyon, Bob Rash, Chuck Lichty, Erlene Lakey, Lisa Rash, and Ted Phillips, that Christ would be their health and sickness, their joy and sorrow, and their life in death. Let us pray to the Lord. Lord, have mercy. For all who receive the body and blood of our Savior this day, that they would be strengthened and renewed unto life everlasting. Let us pray to the Lord. Lord, have mercy. Lord God, Heavenly Father, through your holy word, you have called us into your vineyard. Send your Holy Spirit into our hearts, that we may labor faithfully in your vineyard, shun sin and all offense, obediently keep your word and do your will, putting our whole and only trust in your grace, which you have bestowed upon us so abundantly. Through Jesus Christ, your Son, our Lord, who lives and reigns with you in the Holy Spirit, one God, now and forever. Amen. Well, again, good morning and God's blessings to you all on the Septuagesima Sunday. Uh, looking ahead into the week and at our announcements, of course, Sunday school and Bible study immediately following worship. Uh, tomorrow I do have my, and actually this is a correction, um, it used to be Monday when we would always host the pastor's uh, reading group, or not we would host it, but we would, it's over in uh, Liberty. Um, and they just recently changed it to Tuesday, and of course I was reminded of this after I put the bulletin together for this week. So it'll be Tuesday at 9.30 that I'll be in Liberty with the uh, pastor's reading groups. I will be in the office tomorrow. Uh, then Wednesday, our midweek school schedule, along with workout class at 6, and then choir practice at 7 p.m. And then also Thursday, uh, we have handbell practice resuming, and then at 7.30 there is the voters' assembly, so voters, please take note of that. Uh, and then also regarding our Higher Things Conference, uh, the early registration is in. If there are any youth that still want to attend, you're welcome to do so. Uh, I can go ahead and add you to our registration. If you have any questions, please just contact me. And of course, I continue to uh, urge you to take a look at higherthings.org, that website, for more information, not just about the conference, uh, but about the organization on the whole and the good work that they do. An announcement regarding upcoming Lenten services. The Trinity Lutheran Women will again serve a light supper prior to the Wednesday evening Lenten services. Uh, the meals have been divided up between the various guilds and committees, and they are listed there in the bulletin. So if you're a member of Trinity and you'd like to help either with the meal itself or clean up, please contact one of these ladies as we prepare for uh, our Lenten services coming up at the end of this month. Uh, that is when Ash Wednesday is. Uh, it's hard to believe it's come so quickly. Any other announcements going into the week? Anything I might have missed? Pastor, yes. On the altar group, did they can miss Pastor? Is our contact? Okay. Okay. 
So for the Altar Guild, Patty Cheney is the contact for, uh, for the, the upcoming Lenten meal. So thank you. That being said, God's peace be with you. Go in the grace of God, rejoicing as we all make a joyful noise to the Lord that we have received his abundant grace in Christ Jesus, our Savior. I'll greet you at the door.